Chapter thirty five of Australia, New Zealand, and some other islands of the South Seas by Frank G. Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. American Goods in New Zealand. In the foregoing chapters, I have mentioned two facts that should mean much to the exporters of the United States. One is that New Zealand is an agricultural country, exporting raw materials and importing manufactured articles and the other is that the per capita wealth of all persons of more than twenty years of age is about four thousand dollars in other words new zealand is dependent on foreign markets as outlets for her rich agricultural production and on foreign factories to supply her needs for finished goods and she has the money to pay for what she wants the total foreign trade imports and exports comes to more than four hundred dollars a year for every one of her people this the new zealanders claim is the highest per capita foreign trade in the world in some years half the amount has been spent for goods brought in from other countries in traveling here one sees everywhere evidences of prosperity and a high level of comfort the people are well dressed and live in modern well-built houses unlike australia new zealand has a big rural population and about half the inhabitants live out on the land or in country villages there are only four cities of any size but there are a hundred towns of one or two thousand and perhaps a dozen ranging between two and ten thousand all are up to date in their conveniences and equipment the new zealand cities have their theaters libraries and stores their banks and their factories each has its cricket club and its recreation grounds and the people devote a large part of their time to amusements and sports the short working day gives leisure to the wage earners they leave their jobs in time to dress for the evening and take their families to the movies where they often see american films during the half holiday they spend more money than if they were at work in proportion to its population auckland the commercial metropolis has more rich men than any other city in new zealand although wellington the capital is growing the fastest on the south island the largest city is christchurch it is on the famous canterbury plains the garden spot of new zealand south of it is dunedin with a population of sixty thousand christchurch and dunedin are rival towns the feeling between the people of the two places being much the same as that between the populations of minneapolis and st paul christchurch was founded by a group of church of england settlers who gave it its religious name dunedin was started by scotch presbyterians at about the same time and in its early days it was by no means safe to question election justification sanctification or infant damnation within its precincts the scotch colonists wanted to name this settlement after their capital at home but there were so many edinburghs in the world that they decided on the celtic name for edinburgh and called the place dunedin today nine-tenths of the people of dunedin are of scotch descent and the place is a magnet for scottish immigrants there are scotch names over the stores scotch names for the streets and the little stream that runs through the north end of the town is called the water of leith when i asked a rosy-faced boy the name of one of the churches he replied with a thick brogue that sore is the first kirk 
the dunedin men say that their churches are far better off than those of the rival city they are all out of debt and have money in the bank when the city was founded one-tenth of all the land was set aside for the church this is leased out for twenty-one years at a time on condition that at the close of each such lease all improvements made shall belong to the church dunedin is in the rich otago province which irrigation has made into a great fruit-producing region grapes peaches pears nectarines and several kinds of nuts are raised in abundance for a time the industry suffered from the great numbers of birds but the importation of the german owl which killed off most of them solved that difficulty dairying and sheep raising are carried on almost as extensively as on the canterbury plains and the farmers raise four good crops of alfalfa in a year there are four big woolen mills in the neighborhood of dunedin and here also is one of the car shops of the government railways another local industry is the freezing of thousands of rabbits for export our trade with new zealand is rapidly increasing every year we sell our goods valued at nearly forty million dollars or more than eighteen per cent of the total imports great britain has the bulk of the trade but the united states comes next and then australia there is no doubt that we might double our share if we tried hard enough i have met a number of american salesmen all of whom say that they are doing well they are however somewhat handicapped by the bad impression created by that class of our commercial travelers who were forever bragging of their country and overpraising their goods this is particularly distrustful to all new zealanders and especially so to the business man on the whole however the people like our goods and are friendly to the yankees as they call us a salesman i met the other night in the chief hotel at dunedin he has been selling goods here and in other parts of australasia during the past five years said he american goods are fast making their way in this part of the world i am the agent for several large companies and am doing well we are selling printing paper by the ton there is a good demand for farming machinery of all kinds and tens of thousands of acres of sheep pastures are enclosed in fences of american wire our automobiles are the most popular and the country is alive with flivvers the new zealanders bought ten million dollars worth of our cars in a single year to say nothing of four million dollars worth of tires they have spent as much again on our gasoline and oils american bicycles are sold everywhere and in spite of their higher prices our carpenters tools are preferred to those of europe recently i took a big order for steel rails we have also a good business in electrical supplies the government is undertaking to develop new zealand's water power it has picked out no less than seventy two sites for hydroelectric projects and it has a big program under way the lake coleridge plant seventy miles from christchurch serves a population of more than one hundred thousand and enables christchurch to have a two-cent fare on its municipally owned streetcar lines the waikato plant seventeen miles from the town of cambridge in the north island can generate eighty four hundred horsepower and the waipori falls project furnishes eighty thousand horsepower for the city and factories of dunedin extensions of these three plants are being pushed and the government has plans for other installations 
which will give electric energy to practically all the towns and rural districts of the North Island. Such projects should mean more business for the electrical supply firms of the United States. Our firms are selling Connecticut clocks, Illinois farm machinery, and Massachusetts watches. I saw American typewriters in Wellington. There is a good market for all sorts of Yankee notions. The other day, while riding on a train with a New Zealand merchant, I asked him what he thought of American goods. Pulling his right foot from under his traveling rug, he put it up on the seat beside me. You see those shoes, said he? They are American. They are the easiest shoes I have ever had on. They have not troubled me a day since I bought them. The New Zealand government is one of the chief customers for manufactured goods. It owns the railroads, builds bridges, and operates coal mines. Hence, its purchases are enormous. It buys all sorts of iron and steel building materials, as well as hardware, galvanized roofing, elevators, irrigation pumps, and all kinds of machinery and engineering apparatus. We now have the best consular service of any commercial nation, and New Zealand offers a splendid field for its operations. Times have changed both in this dominion and in Australia, since the day typified by the young man who got himself appointed consul at Melbourne. His only business experience had been as postmaster in his little hometown in Wisconsin. He was asked by an American why he did not keep the State Department posted on the openings for American trade and on the big business developments going on everywhere. He replied that he reported upon all things that the department directly asked for, but that he did not consider it best to advertise the great trade opportunities of Australia for fear it might call them to the attention of other nations. New Zealand buyers give to British firms as many orders as they can, without too great a sacrifice of their own interests. This is especially true since the World War, as the people are anxious to do what they can to stimulate British trade and thus help the mother country pay her enormous debt and regain prosperity. I find here a strong love for old England. Many New Zealanders, even those born and bred here, speak of a trip there as going home, and of British articles as goods made at home. The Dominion appears entirely content under the British crown, doubtless because the bonds binding her are not tight. For example, in the World War, Great Britain could not have conscripted soldiers from the Dominion as France did from Algeria. It was the people themselves who decided in favor of compulsory military service, though not until many thousands of young men had already volunteered and gone overseas. In Australia, conscription was defeated by the voters of the Commonwealth. I recently visited Invercargill, the town farthest south on this side of the world. It is the bottom city of the Pacific, far below the latitude of Cape Town, at the tip of Africa, and almost as far south as Punta Arenas, at the tail of South America. It is at the extreme south of New Zealand, and as nice a little city of 15,000 people as you will find anywhere. The town is as well built as any of the same size in the United States. It has waterworks, good schools, a public library, and a beautiful park, upon the waters of which swim half a dozen jet-black swans. Walking through the streets, I stopped at an agricultural implement store. It was filled with farming machinery, and I noticed that at least half of the stock was American. There were several Chicago drills, two Ohio harvesters, and some Illinois plows. 
i talked with the proprietor he said he had a good sale for american reapers and all sorts of american farming tools but that the british and canadians are trying to crowd us out of the market said he one of your chief competitors is canada the canadian firms will sell on longer time and we can get better prices for their goods on that account we have to give a discount for cash and cash sales are much harder to make on the same street i saw american bicycles in a shop window and farther up american hand saws at present most of the cotton sold here come from england but the people are beginning to buy our print goods i saw some in a wellington dry goods store and asked the merchant where he got them he replied that he had given an american firm a trial order and that they were selling well he showed me his invoice it was for eight thousand dollars and this he called a trial order most firms in the united states would consider it a pretty good one but this part of the world is so far away that the merchants must buy a whole season's stock in one consignment and there is no chance for a reorder End of chapter 35